Well, here we are. It is time, Simba. If you understand that reference, you might be about the age where we should be working together. It's possible. But it is now one of three times a year that I'm accepting clients for my freedom framework, overcoming food sensitivities and increasing energy without unnecessary restriction. My goal for my one-on-one clients is to take them through frameworks and explore tools for achieving 50, 80, 90% of their goals in just a few months and show them how to continue to heal on their own so they don't need me anymore. Honestly, I think we're doing great one-on-one work here, helping women that would otherwise be falling through the cracks, thinking that they're just aging, that they're just moms, that they just, and it may be true that they just have stress when really those stress hormones and their other core systems just really need some serious support and some serious love to serve them for years to come without symptoms. So if you'd like to clear inflammation, eczema, food sensitivities, or improve energy and brain clarity, I'd love to chat with you. You can book a call with me at kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, and that link will be in the show notes. The most common reason my patients struggle or, or any patient struggles, whether you're in primary care or in a functional medicine practice, is the inability to adopt and sustain new diet and lifestyle habits. Welcome to the Less Stressed Life Podcast, where our only priority is providing those aha moments to uplevel your life, health, and happiness. Your host, integrative dietitian nutritionist Krista Bigler, helps health conscious women reduce the stress and confusion around food, fatigue, digestive, and skin issues at lessstressnutrition.com. Now, on to the show. You may not know this, but I live in farm country, and one of my favorite sights are the beautiful blue fields of flax when they flower in the summer. High amounts of daily flaxseed are also one of the most common food recommendations I make to women working through heavy periods or hormone issues, skin problems, high cholesterol, or even as a quick option to move stagnant digestion. It's not always easy getting in multiple tablespoons of flax each day unless you have a really great source of flax. My favorite is from the Pizzi family in Manitoba, who've pioneered flax sourcing in the food, beverage, and pet food industry over the last few decades. Their flax is head and shoulders above any other flax I've used and tasted in my kitchen for a few unique reasons. First, they slice the whole seed so there is no waste and you get the nutrition from the entire plant in both their milled flaxseed and their flax milk. This gives it the freshest, fluffiest texture. Second, they remove any diseased and damaged seeds that don't fit their quality standards so the whole batch doesn't get that rancid smell or taste like some other flax. Third, they gently heat treat each batch for food safety and to give the flax a smooth, slightly roasted flavor. And finally, they care for their soil through crop rotation to grow healthy flax for years to come. Thank you for sponsoring today's episode, Manitoba Milling Flaxseed. You can find Manitoba milled flaxseed and milk at some large retailers or get 25% off online using the code 25Krista at Amazon or ManitobaFlax.com. For the most up-to-date links and discount codes for all products mentioned on the show, you can always go to kristabigler.com forward slash shop. Okay, today on The Less Stressed Life, we have Dr. Terry Walls. She is a clinical professor at the University of Iowa, where she conducts clinical trials testing the efficacy of therapeutic lifestyle to treat multiple sclerosis-related symptoms. In addition, she's the author of The Walls Protocol, How I Beat Progressive MS Using Paleo Principles in Functional Medicine, and the cookbook, The Walls Protocol, Cooking for Life. 
She restored her health using diet and lifestyle programs she designed specifically for her brain and now pedals her bike to work each day. You can learn more about her MS clinical trials by reaching out to her team, MS Diet Study at healthcare.uiowa.edu and pick up her research papers and diet handouts at terrywalls.com forward slash research papers and forward slash diet. Welcome, Dr. Walls. Hey, thank you for having me. Yeah. So I love that you are teaching now because that is a great place for someone who has a breadth of experience like you. But before we get into it, maybe not everyone has heard your story. So let's talk about that a little bit and what happened. Sure. So I'm a academic internal medicine doc teaching resident physicians uh, here at the University of Iowa when I was CVA. And in 2000, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. I knew I wanted to treat my disease aggressively. So I set out the best MS center in the Midwest, took the newest drugs, and went relentlessly downhill. Within three years, I'm having difficulty sitting up. I needed to recline wheelchair. I'm told about the work of Lauren Cardane. I adopt a paleo diet. After 20 years of being a low-fat vegetarian, so I go back to eating meat, give up all grain, all legumes, all dairy, but I continue to decline. I'm in the recline wheelchair, getting worse. I'm taking the new potent biologic. It's getting relentlessly worse. I uh, go back to reading more science, more ancestral health principles. I discover the Institute for Functional Medicine. I have a longer list of supplements. By 2007, I'm beginning to have a refractory trigeminal neuralgia. That's electrical face pain. I'm beginning to have brain fog, and it's difficult to walk 10 feet using two walking sticks. That's when I have this really big aha moment, like I should redesign my paleo diet in a very specific way based on everything that I'd been learning to maximize my nutrients, not from the supplements, but from the food. So now I create a very structured paleo diet. And to my amazement, within three months, I'm beginning to walk with a cane. And in 12 months, I'm able to do an 18.5 mile bike ride. So this radically changes how I think about disease and health. It will radically change the way I practice medicine. And my chief of staff and chief of medicine direct me to begin doing clinical trials, testing whether others can implement my protocol. And so that launches what has become a, you know, a very exciting research program and, of course, an international education program as well. Yeah. So before the onset of this in around 2000, do you think that there was a compound of events that sort of led up to this? I mean, I'm sure you've thought about that quite a bit. Oh, yeah. Just kind of wondering what life was looking like before things started to unravel. So, you know, I grew up on the farm, physically very active, lots of vitamin D, uh, went off to medical school, no more vitamin D, a little less physical activity, although I was still uh, trying to run, bike, swim, but it certainly had more toxins. And then, just like my symptoms began during medical school and grew steadily worse, I was a very ambitious, hard-driving individual. And so I had a lot of stress because I was pushing so hard at work. You know, and I'd say that's actually probably really true for when I look at many of my patients in my clinical trials in my clinics, that you can sort of point to when their symptoms began, but the big trigger for big flares is most typically high levels of stress. Yeah, I would 100% agree with that. So what's happening in the body when we have high levels of stress that can create conditions like this? 
Well, you basically think of it as, as you're pouring gasoline on the fire. So you're driving up the production of all the inflammatory cytokines. You're driving up activity of the innate and adaptive immune cells. And you're creating more cortisol in the brain, which again puts out signals to the rest of the body to drive the inflammation more aggressively. You know, and in the wild, our ancestors that would have been good for us acutely to make us more resistant to the infections that would have occurred as a result of fighting and getting lacerations because we were fighting with uh, predators or with other ancient enemies. So, you know, ancestral mothers and fathers, that was a very adaptive thing as long as it was episodic. But when it's continual, which is what stress usually is in the modern society, it is very inflammatory. Mm-hmm. To the point people don't even realize they have it, right? Because they're living with it so much? Yeah, you know, it's a good thing that we adapt to our current environment so that it makes it possible to get through every day. But unfortunately, it means that we can't recognize these changes because we adapt and we think this is our new normal. And I accept that, well, I'm getting older, I'm getting more mature. So I guess I should be getting a little forgetful. I guess I should need lots and lots of caffeine to get through the day. Mm. And we don't realize that In fact, you know, in your 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, you should be able to work through the day. You should be able still to go hiking. You should still be able to play chess and play with your grandchildren, your Mm great-grandchildren. That too many of us are having rapid aging because we have this runaway inflammation. Mm -hmm. You know, with MS, we think about that being a degenerative disease. And so we think a lot about mitochondria. In your book, you talk about mitochondria being or fueling the cells properly or nourishing them properly, being really the cornerstone of foundation of how we improve. Can you talk a little bit more about what mitochondria is, how to improve it, what really helps? What like How long does it realistically take to improve that? Because it can be kind of a slow moving, you know, when you look at mitochondrial support, it's very broad. Yes, yes. Well, you know, mitochondria are really ancient, ancient bacteria that got incorporated into our cells about a billion and a half years ago, and they make it much more effective and efficient for our cells to generate ATP, adenosine triphosphate, that our cells will use to run the chemistry of life, which allows all of our cells to specialize. So we have brain cells, we have blood vessel cells, nerve cells, bone cells, gland cells that let us be much more efficient. Now, when the mitochondria can't work as well because they've been poisoned by heavy metals or pesticides, herbicides, or antibiotics, they can't make energy as well. The organs can't work quite as well. And we begin to have, you know, often more fatigue, a little brain fog, a little more irritability, a little less joy. And we start needing more and more caffeine to get through the day. Our blood pressure goes up. Our vision declines, and our heart's not working quite as well. And now, in my therapeutic lifestyle clinic, one of the most common reasons people came to see us, and as I got people fired up on this new way of eating that we would teach them, it was very typical when people would come back in about six weeks, they would tell me that their energy's improving, and often they're feeling more hopeful. They realize that they're having either less anxiety or less depression. And, you know, another thing they often reported was that it was easier to get along with people at work or in their family, probably because they were less irritable. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So your thought was that that in six weeks, they were making changes to mitochondrial health. But what are some other ways that we yes. more objectively look at that? Like, for me, in my practice, I see certain nutrient patterns and think that the mitochondria are suffering, right? Carnitine or oh, yeah. polypoic acid. Correct. So how else do people look at this or know that it's an issue for them, aside from having a well, major issue? So, you know, we can do a you know, much more sophisticated blood work looking at nutrients measures of mitochondrial function, such as carnitine, such as coenzyme Q in the bloodstream. Now, when I worked at the VA, you know, I couldn't do any of those fancy functional medicine testing. We just did basic, you know, things like A1C, fasting lipids, homocysteine, vitamin D. And so I'd have to rely on the medical symptoms questionnaire, Mm -hmm. and we'd have to rely on their symptoms. And we focused on fatigue, mood, mental clarity. Yeah. And, you know, if I had people who had heart failure, now this would take longer, but we could get improved cardiac function and improved ejection fraction. That would take about a year. But, you know, people's symptoms of energy, they could tell that things were beginning to improve, usually in about six weeks. Occasionally it would take three months, but it was surprisingly quick. Yeah, cool. And that would be because we're improving basically the nourishment of the cells, which is improving those specialized cells, which improves the organ function. And some of those nutrients we specifically talked about definitely are majorly implicated in things like cardiovascular disease. In fact, coenzyme Q10, I mean, that's one of our common nutrient deficiencies when people are on medications, correct? It's very common. You know, and in addition, people get depleted on their B vitamins, B6, 9, and 12. Mm-hmm. Very common with oral contraceptives. And then if you're taking a diuretic, then you're going to be depleted on your minerals, which are cofactors for the B vitamins. Mm-hmm. And if you're on a statin, then it's CoQ. So very commonly, one of those three groups are going to be affected because you're nearly always, you're most of the folks that we see are on a medication that's affecting their mineral status, B vitamins, or CoQ. Yeah. And the thing is, is it seems like we overtreat a lot of symptoms that come from nutrient deficiencies. I feel like you would agree mm-hmm. with that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, and that's all really why in our clinics, we would tell people, now as you're implementing our dietary plan, we're going to have to watch you really closely because you will likely need to be backing off on your medications. Because as your cells improve and your organs improve, your need for these prescription meds will decline. Mm-hmm. So we'd have to watch very closely and be start backing off on medication after medication. How often do you see, sometimes in people that are really compromised, cellular status is such that the cell membrane structure doesn't allow certain nutrients or minerals. It can be very hard to replete those very quickly. It's hard for them to get inside if there's not like a nice fatty acid membrane layer in the cells. How often do you see that your patients aren't tolerating some of their B vitamins or some of their minerals and you have to go really slow? And this is where diet is so important, right? Because you can't out-supplement diet. Correct. So I think people will do much better with food. And so we talk about organ meats, we talk about liver, and we would talk about taking Epsom salts baths Mm -hmm. and Dead Sea mineral baths. And then, you know, depending on the individual, we would use uh, supplements. But, you know, again, at the VA, we can only work with a very small range of supplements that I was using. Yeah, you bet. So we really focused on making sure everyone is having liver once a week. And I wanted people to have heart once a week. Mm-hmm. Cool. I bet. How did people look at you when that recommendation came across the table? They accepted it? Um, you know, actually, if you cook it and you serve it and you show that it can, in fact, be delicious, they're like, oh, my God, 
this actually is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we found that to be very, very helpful is to have cooking classes, teaching people how to make, you know, cooked greens could be delicious, green smoothies could be delicious, that liver and onions could be quite delicious, uh, and that organ meat meatballs could be quite delicious. Cool. That is the beautiful thing about the VA is that you have resources to do cooking classes, I think, because... Yeah, it was I- like... Yeah. Yeah. The therapeutic kitchen was such a uh, wonderful thing. Yeah. And now, at least in my state, which is just a neighbor to you, they have started implementing integrative health into the VA, but hugely lifestyle medicine, right? So like you said, yes. it's really what you were already doing, essentially. Correct. Correct. You know, the VA uh, nationally, you know, discovered what we were doing, came out to see us, let us expand our clinic, and then helped export those concepts to more clinics. Cool. Great. So the book came out a while, like almost five years ago, I believe. And things have changed. Your message and research have changed. They've come a long way. What are some of the new things? What are some of the new things that you've learned that you want to change in your messaging and how you're practicing? So we refined the diet so that I made it uh, clear who needs to be at the first level, the second level, who should be on the low lectin version of the diet. We talk more about histamines, uh, oxalates, lectins, so things can be personalized. And you know, I'm still very fond of ketogenic eating, but now I, I'm much more upfront that for some people, coconut milk and MCTs will drive triglycerides and will drive up cholesterol in a really harmful way. So we talk about how to do ketosis either with MCT oil or with olive oil or with fasting and the very many tools we have in the fasting realm. So there's a lot deeper, richer conversation about that. We talk a lot more about behavior change and why it's difficult. Give people many more tools to support their behavior change because it's certainly not easy extinguishing old behaviors and then creating new behaviors and how to get family members and extended family on board. That's pretty comprehensive. And those are a lot of very different, but often things that go together for diet. I mean, coming from someone who's I'm working in this all the time. And those are a lot of topics to try to connect. As I was looking through the original version of the book, I realized I hadn't looked, I hadn't picked it up in a bit. And I realized this is such a great, I have people reaching out to me often that are realizing you know, I really enjoy integrative medicine. Um, where can I learn more about it? And I think that this is such a comprehensive piece that goes over a lot of topics from a big and an in-person view, actually. Like, it's just a great place for someone to start. But it sounds like, I don't know, I'm curious how much thicker the new book is if you're going through all of Well, that. it has about a third new material. Mm-hmm. I update all the research that we've done and the level of acceptance that I now have, you know, that now I'm getting millions of dollars in grants and funding and uh, am being recognized by the MS Society and other MS researchers. So, you know, that's way fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and just how far we've come with the epigenetic research and the microbiome research and that now the neuroscientists are saying, you know what, diet and lifestyle is critical if you want to protect your brain and not get cognitive decline early. Yeah, that so. leads me that leads me to a couple of questions. When you were first working through your own personal revolution and you started changing the way you practiced, how did your colleagues handle that? 
Well, you know, at first people were thrilled. I'm walking around again, you know, so everybody was so excited. And then I changed how I practice. I'm talking more and more about food and lifestyle and less and less about drugs. And then I get called down to the chief of staff's office and told that people are complaining that they've looked at my charts and see that I'm not practicing the standard of care. And I'm told, like, you're going to lose your license to keep this up. Now, fortunately, I brought with me an armful of scientific papers. I went through them explained the science behind what I was doing, and I won my chief of staff over. But he sent me to the director of the Complementary Alternative Medicine Clinic, who taught me how to document in the medical record and in my public talks, so I would not piss off the FDA, and I could, my colleagues were more comfortable. And actually, that was also, at that point, my chief of staff and the chief of medicine sat me down and said, you know, we have to get a case report written up. And this is so remarkable. We should have you do some clinical trials, see if others could implement what you've done. And so in the end, it all worked out. But, you know, first couple of weeks when I got cuffed on the ears, that was like sort of set me back on my heels. Yeah. But in the end, it all worked out. And so I was actually quite grateful that people complained and I had to go in and talk to everyone and get redirected. Yeah, then you could win them over. And it was a good thing you came prepared. Yes. <laughs> if you hadn't yes. been prepared, yeah, I, it might have taken a lot longer. <laughs> Yes, yes. Fortunately, I knew that was going to be coming. So I had the stack ready to go for that time. So yeah, fortunately, I was prepared. Otherwise, it would have gone a very different way, I'm sure. So now you're having these research dollars coming in. At the time of this recording, I know you're enrolling for a new study. Tell me about some of the research that you're doing and how you're conducting that. Well, this is a really important question. Could the Wallace Protocol without drugs be just as effective as these potent disease-modifying biologic drugs at turning off serious autoimmune disease activity. And the way we're answering that is we're longitudinally looking at a cohort of patients who want to use diet and lifestyle and have declined drugs in newly diagnosed MS patients. And we're comparing them to a cohort of newly diagnosed MS patients for being seen at the multiple sclerosis clinic at the University of Iowa. And we'll get uh, quality of life, walking, thinking, vision, and biomarkers, including MRIs, at baseline in 12 months. And I'll be able to compare the two groups. And if I can show that these two groups are equivalent, you know, that changes everything. And it also gives me the safety data then to write the next round of grants, which would allow us to bring everyone in who want to do diet and lifestyle, newly diagnosed, and then randomize the group to getting drugs or not getting drugs. But I have to have this first round of safety data first. So we're very excited. That'll probably be a three-year, you know, a two-year study, a year to enroll folks, a year to follow. And then, uh, so we'll probably be publishing this in 2023. Okay. How common is MS? You know, it's getting steadily more common. And it is being diagnosed earlier and earlier. You can now have children. And elementary kids having this. In the U.S., there are a million uh, people with MS. So at some point after the current research, you just mentioned that what you're enrolling in right now may not be published until 2023. And so it will not be until after that time that this will probably roll into other neurodegenerative conditions. Is that correct? Or are you going to start that soon? Well, you know, it depends on the funding that we have in our clinics, you know, and over at the VI in the therapeutic lifestyle clinic that's basically modeled on the walls protocol they're seeing a wide variety of conditions diabetes obesity traumatic brain injury other autoimmune issues parkinson's cognitive decline and having great success and in my clinics i'm having great success 
with those types of disease states. Mm-hmm. And yet at this point, I'm beginning to have conversations with other collaborators here at the University of Iowa. So we'll see if we can get some other small pilot studies going with other disease states. Mm-hmm. So in the original version and in the new version, you have different options for following the diet of the WALS protocol. Yeah. So, you know, we're also living in a time, I feel, where practitioners are becoming divided about limited diets and diet experiments. And so what's your advice to people that sometimes feel stuck after trialing an experimental diet or they feel like they can't tolerate normally healthy foods? So, well, two things. First thing I want to make the observation is of all the people writing about diets, I'm the only one doing clinical research. I'm the only one who have published in peer-reviewed literature analysis of the diet quality. We can say even my most restrictive diet is still nutrient-dense and superior to the standard American diet and superior to the dietary guidelines diet. Now, when people restrict their diets and they may develop a food sensitivity to some of those food proteins... And now they're trying to reintroduce uh, more plant proteins, and they begin to have difficulties. Now, part of the difficulty there is that they still have a leaky gut, so these incompletely digested proteins are getting through. In that circumstance, you need to really focus in on healing the leaky gut, adding more dietary enzymes and sufficient stomach acid to fully digest those proteins. So you aren't having these proteins leak into the bloodstream. Yeah. Intestinal permeability gets a lot of attention. How about bacterial and fungal dysbiosis or imbalances or self-infections, however we want to say that? Well, that's all part of it. You know, certainly the dysbiosis, the fungal overgrowth can add to that intestinal permeability and the leakiness. So yes, that is certainly part of it. And your toxin exposures can be part of it your glyphosate in your food and in your drinking water can be part of it as well. Mm -hmm. So the walls diet, you mentioned that you're adding a lot more about behavior change in the new version of the book. And even though when people talk about the walls protocol, they summarize it as diet. I think it's more than that. You talk about the importance of keeping a diary, even if it's just stories about your journey. Talk to us about that mindset piece and that whole area, because this is where people sink or swim sometimes. Well, you know, people getting well or not getting well, the most common reason my patients struggle or, or any patient struggles, whether you're in primary care or in a functional medicine practice, is the inability to adopt and sustain new diet and lifestyle habits. And so this is all about behavior change. And the reality is we avoid pain as our biggest driver, avoid uh, loss, and then we increase sex and food. And any mutations that didn't increase our interest in sex and food, of course, would not have reproductive success. And so those adaptations disappear. We are wired to avoid pain and to have sex and eat food. Therefore, we have to understand if we're changing new behaviors, we have to understand that you have to change your environment to extinguish these very yummy, delicious foods that have been designed to create more addiction and more craving. So we talk about that, yes, you crave those. That's The food's been designed biologically to drive those cravings. And if you're going to be successful, you have to change your environment, create more friction to make it harder to eat the foods you're trying to get out of your diet and to reduce the friction to make it easier to eat the foods that you're trying to ramp up. And so that may 
mean having more distance with negative relationships. It may mean removing these temptations from the environment. It may mean working to uh, link aversion to these harmful foods because you know that they're going to increase your symptoms or prevent you from achieving your personal goals or health goals. Everyone wants to know what you had for breakfast this morning. Water. Because I only eat one meal a day. Mm. I'll make uh, supper, which uh, today, by the way, is uh, soup that we're having uh, in some uh, greens and Brussels sprouts. Uh, and then I'll have a PC a smoothie bowl, which has a lot of phosphatidylcholine and essential fatty acids in it. Mm-hmm. So I just have that one meal because I'm really into longevity now. And then uh, once a month, I'll do a five to seven day uh, water fast. Your last decade has been a lot of experiments. No, more than that. <laughs> the last couple. Oh, of it's decades. lots of fun. Yes, lots of it's so much fun. So it is so much fun. Throughout those experiments, what does a flare look like if you've had a flare? I mean, most people have oh, a flare up yeah. conditions. Tell us about that briefly. So I have spinal stenosis. So I've had uh, back pain, and so that led to intense pain, difficulty standing and walking. Had surgery. Ultimately, because I had nighttime pain, it was I couldn't sleep. Then I had antibiotic-associated colitis, lost a lot of weight, and still had back pain. Did my physical therapy, back to stem and gradually improved. So now I'm back to walking, biking, and standing much more comfortably. If I come to your house and you accidentally expose me to gluten, dairy, or eggs, in 6 to 24 hours, my face pain trigeminal neuralgia will turn on. And in a matter of a couple hours, I'll go from a little bit of discomfort to horrific paroxysms of electrical face pain, such that I can't walk or talk. You have a true egg allergy. I read that in your book. Yes. Yeah. But otherwise, you are able to diversify your diet quite a bit, quite a bit from what's stated there. Absolutely. If I come to your house, as long as you don't give me gluten, dairy, or eggs, I can enjoy our good company. Yeah. So... If someone is listening to this and they're surprised or amazed or curious for more, what's your gut reaction to tell them to learn more about overcoming autoimmunity or overcoming chronic conditions in themselves? If I can come back from being unable to sit up to biking 20 miles comfortably, traveling the world, there's every reason they can be optimistic that they could come back as well. The journey would be a little different than mine, but it's certainly worth going down this. This experiment. This challenge. Okay. Dr. Walls, where can people find you? TerryWalls.com, T-E-R-R-Y, Walls, W-A-H-L-S.com. If you do forward slash diet, you get a one-page handout. Forward slash research papers, you can get access to our research papers and the remarkable videos of the gait improvements people achieve. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on today and sharing what's coming out with the new book. And we'll look forward to it. Sounds great. Thank you so much. One of the best gifts you could give us at The Less Stressed Life is your feedback. We are paid in podcast reviews. If you enjoyed this or any other episode, please leave us a review. In the iTunes store or from your podcast app, just search for Less Stressed Life as if you're not already subscribed. 
Click on the banana face image, scroll to the bottom where it shows the text of other reviews, and write a review. While you're there, hey, make sure you hit subscribe. For Android or Stitcher users, you gotta go to the desktop site and search for Less Stress Life, and then scroll down to leave a review. Stitcher doesn't load Apple reviews on their site, so if you want, you can leave a review in both places. Your feedback means a lot to the success of the show. Thanks so much for taking the time to do that. You rock.